Previously on Transformers University, we jumped into the first 10 episodes of Season 3 of the original Transformers cartoon, and now we continue on with another five episodes to talk about right now on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to episode number 70 of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Bricali, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info, the Toy Archive, the website, the YouTube channel, this podcast, and so much more. And I want to welcome you once again to this episode. Uh, before we jump into the show, I just want to uh, thank everyone who's been part of the Patreon. We are real close to our first overall goal of 25 patrons. Uh, we are just three away. So if you want to sign up at the Patreon, patreon.com slash T-F-U-I-N-F-O. That's patreon.com slash T-F-U-I-N-F-O. And for as little as $1 a month, you can get us closer to our goal of 25 patrons, which will then set me in motion to start making uh, the earlier episodes of this show into full video versions. So if you like cartoon episodes like this one, uh, that would mean that you would be able to see what's going on in the show, in the episode, uh, as we talk about it and dissect the show. Now, we've got a lot of ground to cover. We've got five full episodes, season three, episodes 11 through 15, overall episodes 76 through 80, and we are going to get right into it. Now, we start with season three episode 11 overall episode 76 thief in the night by paul davids and you may remember him from uh, such episodes as uh, cosmic rust and chaos. chaos so for more on this episode i'm going to toss it over to one of our earliest patreon supporters you may see me retweet his donvoy drawings every day pretty much on the twitter account at tfu underscore info uh, i'm sure you'll find a I want to toss it over to the one and only Sean Hamilton. Hello, this is Sean Hamilton, perhaps better known to you as Donvoy on Twitter. Today I'm talking about G1 Season 3 Episode Thief in the Night. It starts with Grimlock watching Trypticon versus Metroplex and wanting to get to the good part where Metroplex throws Trypticon into the ocean to kill him forever because everybody knows salt water is Trypticon's greatest weakness. But then we have a very sad-sounding Teletron 2 informing everyone that, no, he may have survived. Flip ahead to the Autobot uh, Navy, consisting of Sea Spray and Broadside. Sea Spray finds nothing but footprints in the bottom of the ocean. Then we flip ahead to the great African nation of Carbombia. And Carbombia City, with the uh, population of 4,000 people and 10,000 camels. We learn that Octane has kidnapped Trypticon and taken him to Garbambia to recover because the oil is so great. Yes, Energon. One thousand. 
thousand barrels of oil makes one tiny cube of energy. And that big Decepticon, that, that dinosaur named Trypticon, he drinks 50 Energon cubes an hour. That's, uh, that's quite a bit of oil. They're getting kicked out because of all the oil they drink, but they bribe the uh, illustrious leader of Carbombia by bringing him Fort Knox. And uh, they get their rations cut to a thousand barrels a day, so that that means one inner job cube, energon cube a day, which is a uh, quite a difference. Uh, I don't know how they lived on that. They left some energon behind though, which was kind of surprising since they loved the stuff so much. And Grimlock senses Dinobot transform static when they're investigating. <laughs> Me, Grimlock, sense dinosaur transform static all around here. Wonder if one of Dinobots do this crime. Galvatron comes looking for Trypticon because Trypticon was supposed to be on Dinobot Island. And we finally find out why Galvatron was hiring somebody to kill Octane in Starscream's Ghost. Octane gets out of the being immediately killed by introducing Galvatron to Cocaine Energon, which they all immediately enjoy. Meanwhile, the Six-Gun and Scamper are interrogating the Dinobots and Skylinks, who demands that everyone know that he is not a Dinobot. Perceptor discovers the Energon source to be uh, from Carbamia, and everybody heads there, or at least the Autobot Navy and Aerobots do. The uh, Aerobots attack, but the Decepticons counterattack. Then the uh, Autobots hear that uh, Trypticon's going to go to Moscow to steal the Kremlin. So they're waiting there. Metroplex arrives to take the Kremlin out of Trypticon's hands just for the army to show up and see that Metroplex is holding the, the Kremlin. So everybody assumes that the Autobots are stealing monuments. But back in Carbomia, the uh, illustrious leader is tired of being jerked around by uh, Galvatron, so he calls the Autobots for help. This time, all the Autobots show up and attack. Metroplex harpoons Trypticon with an oil pump tower and dumps him back into the ocean. Uh, the Decepticons retreat. The Autobots take back the monuments. We have a, uh, a nice little mention about... Uh, the leader promising never to work for the Decepticons again. He swears on his, the grave of his mother's camel and various other family members' animals. It's a, it's a neat little episode. It likes to fill in the gaps. Uh, it should have come before Starscream's Ghost. But it's a good episode. I, I personally am a big fan of Octane. I, I like him not because he's evil, but he's just kind of looking out for himself. I don't really know why he wants to be in charge of the Decepticons. He's never really attacked any Autobots that I've seen. He just kind of wants to do his own thing and I guess not have a boss. Thank you, and until next time, till all are one. Thanks, Sean, for your help with that one. And uh, a couple of things I want to talk about here uh, that Sean touched on a little bit or, or didn't touch on at all. And uh, I, I think this episode is really important uh, in one aspect because uh, it kind of uh, punctuates the... Uh, departure of Casey Kasem. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, Casey Kasem was the voice of Cliffjumper and uh, Teletran 1 and Blue Streak. And um, in this episode, we get Teletran 2, uh, and it's a completely different uh, voice. And uh, that is because Casey Kasem, uh, being of Libyan descent, really objected to the way uh, Carbomia, yes, that's the name, Carbomia, uh, was presented uh, particularly the name of the country uh, uh, as kind of a um, 
version of Libya at the time. And it is really played out in the script. I can see why he objected to it and what kind of led him to leave the show. And it, it probably is best exemplified by this soundbite from the episode. And off on the starboard bow, we have the African nation of Carbamia, a desert kingdom ruled by the controversial military commander, Abdul Fakadi. Isn't it dangerous to cruise near here? Yeah, sometimes innocent ships get attacked. Uh, another fun note here is that, um, you know, Trypticon is played up as dumb, but if you remember uh, just last episode when we went by the numbers, uh, Trypticon's intelligence numbers on his tech spec are not um, low at all. They're very high. And this episode contains uh, one of the few times I can think of where a character in the show says the title. Whoever it was just made off with Fort Knox like a thief in the night. Which always reminds me of this joke. Oh boy, I usually only get this excited when they say the title of a movie in the movie. I'm telling you, these drug dealers represent a clear and present danger to the United States. Eh, eh, he said it, he said it. All I'm saying is, what if this is as good as it gets? Eh, eh, there it is, there it is. The only way for me to solve this crisis is to be Superman 4, the quest for peace. Oh, that's why they call it that. And one of the lines in this episode really does prove that Trypticon is the ultimate frat boy. Drink! Drink and crush! Uh, we also get Broadside transporting the aerial bots, which they used on his Titan's Return toy, which came with very small versions of the aerial bots to go on his aircraft carrier mode. You know, and when the Autobots are guarding the Kremlin, if they're coming from the United States, uh, Metroplex really went the long way. I'd feel safer if Metroplex had arrived. Oh, he got caught in a blizzard in Siberia, but he's nearing Moscow now. And then once again, we get another soundbite from Fakati that, um, where he swears to never help the Decepticons that is kind of, um, let's just call it culturally insensitive. And I need your word that you'll never cooperate with the Decepticons again. Oh, you have my word of honor, Rodimus. In fact, I swear to you on the grave of my mother's camel and my uncle's goat and even my sister's donkeys. And did I say my brother's sheep and my nephew's roosters? Such fine roosters you never did see. And from that, we'll go to our next episode. That one is season three, episode 12, overall episode number 77. 77 Sunset Strip. Surprise Party by Steve Mitchell and Barbara Petty. Now, uh, these are their first and only script for the pair on the Transformers series. Uh, they both did write together for a couple of other cartoons. Steve Mitchell on his own is, is quite the interesting character. He wrote uh, the 1980s horror film Chopping Mall, which was originally released under the title Killbots. Uh, and he believes that the little name may have been changed to avoid confusion uh, with the Transformers. Uh, Mitchell has uh, a very interesting and unique career. Uh, he was a comic book artist and an inker for a long time. Uh, he inked covers for Iron Man. Uh, he did inks for a backup story uh, in G.I. Joe number 126. He was the first person to ink a Frank Miller Batman story in DC Special Series Volume 1, Number 21, uh, a story called Wanted, Santa Claus, Dead or Alive. And in addition to inking within a comic book issue, he 
wrote three episodes of the G.I. Joe cartoon. Uh, all three of those along with Barbara Petty, including uh, one that I tend to remember, uh, The Fun House. Now, Barbara Petty uh, has gone on to be a mystery author. She's currently writing a series of mysteries uh, that she is selling on Amazon. They're called the Thea Brown Mysteries. Uh, she was a script supervisor on a, 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 a very B movie called Body Chemistry 3, uh, Point of Seduction, and that uh, starred uh, Morgan Fairchild, uh, John Lovitz's wife. Yeah, that's the ticket. And uh, so that is the folks behind this episode. And now for a little bit more on this episode, I'm going to toss it over to my friend from the Stasis Pod podcast, Rob London. Hello, this is Rob from Stasis Pod, the Transformers Prime podcast. And uh, today I'll be talking about Surprise Party, uh, the 77th episode of uh, Transformers Generation 1. Uh, first aired October the 9th, 1986. Uh, it was written by Steve Mitchell and Barbara Petty. And, uh, Barbara Petty had a you know, pretty standard uh, 80s cartoon writer resume, but uh, Steve Mitchell uh, is a little more interesting. He was a, uh, he was a long-time inker for uh, Marvel Comics and, uh, and for DC, uh, but he also wrote a couple of B-movies, uh, probably most memorably the killer robots on a mall rampage classic, Chopping Mall. Uh, as to what the, that has to do with this episode, well, stay tuned. So this, uh, this is a... Uh, this is a Wheelie and Daniel episode, so it's it's pretty silly. Uh, we open up with uh, the with the Autobots throwing a surprise party for Daniel. Um, they get a, they get attacked by the uh, const- by the Combaticons. Uh, Ultra Magnus heroically uh, defeat defeats them and sends them packing. And uh, as a uh, as a thank you for that, Wheelie and Daniel want to uh, want to celebrate Ultra Magnus's birthday. Which is, I think, the first. This is the first concept we have of a Transformers birthday. Uh, but unfortunately, that information cannot be found on the in the Hall of Records. So, Wheelie and Daniel steal a garbage ship and uh, take off for the lost uh, Autobot uh, Records asteroid. Uh, and once there, they find not only some uh, some weird space leeches, uh, but also some sentry robots who are extremely similar to the uh, the killer robots from uh, from Chopping Mall, uh, which would come out, I believe, uh, a couple of years later. So, uh, so, so they, they do eventually get into this records asteroid only to be attacked by the uh, Decepticons, led by Cyclonus, who are intending to send the asteroid towards a peace conference that the Autobots are hosting on Cybertron. You know, as to as is to be expected, uh, the Autobots, uh, by which I mean entirely Ultra Magnus and Skylinks, uh, they save the day, they, they defeat the Decepticons, and also they blow up this asteroid, destroying what I'm sure is millennia of precious Autobot uh, history. And it turns out that, uh, you know, even Ultra Magnus doesn't know when his birthday is. So they just decide that, hey, today's going to be Ultra Magnus' birthday, and so they uh, they hold a party for him. It's, you know, it's pretty juvenile. It's so stupid, it almost kind of works. And also it made me think of Chopping Mall, and I love Chopping Mall. So I'm, I'm going to say this one gets a thumbs up from me. 
Why don't we just designate today as Ultra Magnus's birthday? We'll have a party tonight. <laughs> All right. What we really want to know, why we not think this up long ago? Happy birthday, Ultra Magnus! <laughs> Don't forget, you can catch Rob on the Stasis Pod podcast wherever you listen pretty much to this podcast, where they have been going episode by episode through uh, most of the Transformers series, starting with Beast Wars, and uh, currently are tackling Transformers Prime. And that is the episode known as Surprise Party. Um, it's it's a weird episode. It, it fits very strangely in uh, season three. Actually, the bulk of the episodes we're covering today, um, they all kind of feature Daniel. Um, at least four of them do. I think this is like the Daniel block of of the the third season, and, and probably why the third season gets such a bad rap. Um, he might be the worst part of uh, these episodes, but it doesn't necessarily make these episodes bad. Uh, the thing that bugs me is that they didn't have a backup of the data they put on the asteroid. So when that asteroid blows up, nobody cares that all that information is now gone. Uh, all that history and whatever else they saved, uh, yeah, gone. No, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, so I'm only hoping they had another backup asteroid somewhere. All right, and that takes us to the middle episode we will be covering today, Season 3, Episode 13, overall episode number 78, Madman's Paradise by Craig Rand. And this is the only episode... Um, Craig Rand would write for the series. In fact, it's only one of three uh, writing credits I could find for him on IMDb. I could not really find anything else on him on Google. Uh, in addition to this episode, he wrote an episode of the Care Bears cartoon and a uh, B-movie called Land of Doom, which is a uh, glorified Mad Max wannabe. All I'm going to say is look up Land of Doom on YouTube for one of the most nonsensical uh scenes i've ever seen that said um we're about to get into a pretty offbeat but surprisingly good season three episode it starts off worse than it ends and i'll just put it that way uh we start off with the autobots walking uh inara uh, an ambassador to cybertron uh, and this uh, inara is actually voiced by arlene bennis uh, aka carly witwicky and uh, we will see Carly in this episode because Rodimus introduces uh, Inara to Carly, Spike, and Daniel. Uh, we find out that Spike is Earth's ambassador to Cybertron, and Daniel asks to be excused before wandering off. Uh, we also see that Grimlock is uh, the waiter at this event, complete in an apron, carrying drinks and wearing a bow tie. And Spike reminds Daniel one thing. Stay out of trouble and keep the tuxedo clean, okay? Stay out of trouble. <laughs> There's nobody to even get in trouble with. Nobody to play with either. And we're going to have a bit of a silly version of Grimlock in this episode. And that's kind of what sticks to Grimlock in season three. He's no longer the dumb, angry leader of the Dinobots. He's the dumb, funny comic relief uh, Dinobot. Uh, he goes to follow Daniel, and Daniel is kicking around this stray gear. It's basically supposed to be a tin can, I guess, uh, if it was on Earth. And this gear ends up pushing a button that reveals a secret passage. Uh, they both fall down the passage, and Grimlock tears his apron as they fall. Uh, it leaves a scrap of apron behind, and Grimlock is hot on the tail of Daniel. Big Grimlock coming! 
once they land, they find this room with uh, hieroglyphics on the wall, one of which features a dragon. Neat monster! Not monster, handsome like me, Grimlock! Grimlock accidentally whacks the image of the dragon with his tail, and a red portal opens up in the floor, transporting Grimlock and Daniel. Uh, they fall out of the sky uh, into some other realm. Where are we? <sighs> Not Cybertron! California, maybe? This weird bird uh, spots them. Uh, we find out in the script that it's actually named a Groyle, G-R-O-Y-L-E, and uh, reports it to his master. Uh, it's a dude in a red cloak. We find out the planet is called Minonia uh, and has all sorts of people there, including uh, tree people centaurs with one eye, so that makes them tree people centaur cyclops. Is uh, the lower half of their centaurs are actually like warthogs and they have faces. So they have two faces, one eye on top, and they are tree people. And uh, <laughs> as far as character design goes, that's uh, pretty deep. And they attack Daniel and Grimlock back on Cybertron. Uh, the Autobots realize that Daniel is missing and that he left with Grimlock. Ultra Magnus Blaster, his cassettes, and Carly decide to go look. Back on Minonia, Grimlock is uh, felled by the tree people. The uh, red cloak guy, he's watching in his uh, magic mirror, and uh, we find out that he has a tentacle for a hand, and that's important. There's a lot of foreshadowing uh, in the imagery in this episode. And he casts a spell to uh, basically turn the tree people back into trees, and then one of them is hit with lightning and split in half. That's pretty uh, metal. The red cloak guy introduces himself to Grimlock and Daniel. We see his hand change to a human hand as he shakes Daniel's hand. And uh, he tells them that the Red Wizard, Red Wizard wants to meet them. He takes them back to the castle and the Red Cloak guy regales them with this story uh, as he lowers his hood and reveals he is a human kind of looking person. Uh, he tells the story of the Red Wizard and the Golden One, but we have an unreliable narrator here. His story is not matching the imagery that we see. Um, and we start to see the Red Wizard have tentacle hands. Um, and he tells this story that where the, um, the imagery shows the Red Wizard imprisoning the Golden One, um, the audio doesn't quite match. Tragedy struck. The Golden One vanished mysteriously. There was only one thing the Red Wizard could do. Rule Mononia in the Golden One's place. He then goes on to talk of prosperity and an attack on the Red Wizard. Red Wizard. Um, but we're seeing visuals of torture and oppression. He asks Grimlock for help, and we find out that Daniel has fallen asleep. Uh, his servants take Daniel to quote-unquote rest, uh, and by rest, we mean put him in a jail cell. Uh, and the servants are kind of neat looking. They're like wood versions of uh, generic Transformers. So they're like wood robots. That is really neat. That's something you really hope to see in a toy line one day. Uh, on Cybertron, uh, the trail for them is found and they find the passage as well. But back on Minonia, Grimlock is told of the battle to come. Even now, they plan their next attack. They will never cease, never surrender until they rule Minonia. Or 
until they are destroyed. Me, Grimlock, mixed up. If Wizard's so strong, why he need me, Grimlock? Because his enemies are many. Like insects, they swarm and attack and attack and attack with raw force, primitive magic driven by hate, by envy. They will not stop. Uh, me, Grimlock, just wanted to know. Hey, folks, in 2019, does that does that does that sound familiar at all? Uh, you, you might have heard that somewhere, like on the news or uh, or in a public uh, forum. Yeah, yeah, it's old as new again, folks. Um, but back on Cybertron, Rewind knows exactly where they are right now. Incredible! This chamber was used to dispose of Quintesson criminals. Dispose of them? How? Basically, they chucked them into other dimensions. What? What other dimensions? Name it. Al-Badur here was sent to an ice world. They flushed Murdane to a place with no physical substance. But where's Daniel? Best guess, Menonia, where the Quintessons dumped Mara Al-Utha, convicted of practicing sorcery. So this seems like a terrible way to deal with criminals, by the way, is just to uh, shunt them off into another dimension uh, with no regard for the other dimension. I mean, I guess it goes to the Quintesson's character of not caring about anyone other than themselves, but um, there isn't necessarily punishment. <laughs> and um, yeah, it just doesn't seem seem right in terms of a society. But uh, the Autobots go to Malonia and we find Daniel. Uh, in his jail cell where he meets a man and this cellmate of his looks like the red cloak guy uh, we find out the truth of the red wizard uh, that he uh, is the quintesson uh, that came to uh, Menonia, and he likes to imitate uh, this uh, pupil of the golden one red wizard now has extra magic power Daniel happens to have a uh, laser knife in his pocket and frees his cellmate. Uh, the attack on the castle now happens, and uh, Grimlock wants the Red Wizard to join him. The wizard is coming, Grimlock. Oh, yes. Yes. Grimlock begins his defense of the castle, and Daniel and his cellmate escape. And it's kind of neat here. Grimlock, uh, while defending the castle, is using his sword. It's one of the rare... Uh, occasions where you'll see Grimlock's sword. Uh, the Autobots then arrive, and Daniel and his cellmate arrive at a cave uh, where the Golden One is imprisoned. The Autobots help Grimlock, and Carly finds a scrap of Daniel's tuxedo. Steeljaw and Ramhorn uh, are now on the trail. An interesting note here, Steeljaw and Ramhorn do not talk. Uh, it's very odd, because uh, they did talk in their previous appearances, and uh, they do not talk here, and I don't think Ramhorn ever talks again. Uh, they find Daniel, and uh, Ramhorn uh, rams the cave and frees the Golden One. The Golden One then flies up into the sky and turns into a dragon and storms the castle. Uh, the Autobots realize that the Red Wizard is a Quintesson, uh, Mara Al-Utha, as he's called in uh, the scene with Rewind that we showed earlier, and begin to fire on the Quintesson. Then the Golden One and the Quintesson fight, and uh, the Golden One falls from the sky. Yellow Wizard is about to die. Uh, he has a counterspell, but he's too weak to be loud enough to uh, say it. Use magic to kill death. So Blaster offers some amplification. Repidot! Respondot! Resondot! Zanitar! Zana! Zabasar! Alak! Arak! Run! Run! 
with that spell, the Quintesson disappears and the Autobots go home and return with Grimlock being the only one who remembers Spike's instructions. Young man, I want to talk to you. Dad, it was an accident, honest. Daniel, tell truth. He not mean to get all dirty. <laughs> you know, Grimlock in this episode, really funny. Um, generally, I'm not one for funny Grimlock, but it works here. Uh, it doesn't at first, uh, but it grows on you as the episode goes on. Another interesting note here, this is uh, the second of three episodes where there will not be any Decepticons. Still have one more to go, but uh, it's always fun to point out when there are none at all. And with that, we go to our next episode, Season 3, Episode 14, overall Episode 79, Nightmare Planet by Beth Bornstein. Now, you may remember Bornstein. She wrote uh, two previous Transformers episodes in Season 2, Child's Play and Search for Alpha Trion. This will be the final episode of Transformers that she will write. And uh, it's interesting to note here that this episode aired on Halloween 1986. That was its original airing. And uh, it starts with Daniel Witwicky having a nightmare about Galvatron. And I got to tell you, this episode is a little all over the place. There are a ton of animation errors. There are a lot of uh, story holes. Um, This is not one of the better episodes of the entire series, much less season three. Um, If we weren't covering arguably the worst episode uh, next time around when we do uh, Carnage in C minor... um, I would say that this is a strong candidate for worst episode of all time. Uh, So it starts with Daniel having this nightmare about Galvatron. And uh, it's a giant Galvatron who's about to step on him. Uh, He wakes up and Rodimus Prime is in his room watching him and calms him down. Why is Rodimus Prime just like staring at Daniel creepily in his room like he's the lead singer of Queensryche? Uh, It's just really odd. Um, and Rodimus gives uh, this advice uh, to Daniel, which I remember this scene from when I was a kid, and this advice never worked for me. The next time you have that nightmare, imagine me fighting the giant Galvatron. So we find out he's uh, in the Witwicky household. Uh, Spike and Carly show up. Uh, the Witwicky house has enormous ceilings because uh, it can accommodate Rodimus. And uh, Daniel goes back to sleep, and uh, we get a little bit of foreshadowing as this tentacle uh, reaches in from off screen and over him. We cut to Rodimus Prime Springer and Ultra Magnus trailing uh, some energy signature uh, in a fog outdoors, and they get ambushed by the Predacons. The Predacons then form Predaking, and after forming Predaking, shoot various uh, universal monsters who appear to be attacking them Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, others. Um, where, where did they come from? Uh, why we are attacking them? Uh, nothing is explained. And, uh, the firing at them does nothing. And then a purple dragon shows up, not the Ninja Turtles kind, but an actual dragon that is colored purple and kidnaps Razorclaw and Springer. And then a giant, like the giant from Jack and the Beanstalk and a witch, like the witch from the Wizard of Oz show up. We cut to the Quintessons, who we find out are harvesting and manifesting Daniel's nightmares. And they have him attached to this machine, and this is what's creating all these weird things uh, for the Predacons and the Autobots to deal with. Springer and Razorclaw are dropped off at a dungeon 
uh, by the dragon, where they meet uh, a pink princess who offers gold uh, as a reward for rescuing her. And Razorclaw, for whatever reason, uh, is very interested in the gold. Uh, we cut back uh, to the fight, uh, and the witch uh, casts a spell that accidentally turns the giant into a toad. Uh, Rado's Prime then gets a giant bucket of water and uses it to melt the witch. Uh, clearly, Daniel is trying to help them from his uh, mind. Uh, and, I don't know, snakes show up. Uh, the Autobots and the Predacons are now being attacked by snakes. Why does it always have to be snakes? I don't know, but they're rescued by a World War One biplane uh, that is piloted by someone they think looks familiar. Hint, hint, it's Daniel. And that's all we get. And then all of a sudden, Tantrum is attacked by flytraps. Um, and we just cut to the next scene. Uh, Springer uh, is in the prison with Razorclaw and the Pink Princess, and he has a plan. Cut back to the Autobots and Decepticons uh, defeating the flytraps and now are being attacked by alien clowns and reptile barbarians. I'll say it again. Alien clowns and reptile barbarians. We cut back to Springer and Razorclaw who have somehow escaped their prison cell. Uh, no explanation of how they got out. Uh, no explanation of what Springer's great plan was. Um, and uh, they have found the magic lance that the uh, princess had mentioned earlier. I know I didn't mention it, but she did. And uh, Springer is now fighting the dragon. We cut back to uh, the Autobots and Predacons who are now in a funhouse. And... They come across a giant Galvatron. Hold on, Headstrong! He's not the real thing! Look how big he is! Galvatron can be any size he wants! Now this giant Galvatron is about to crush Rodimus Prime and Headstrong, and then gets punched by a giant Rodimus Prime. Rodimus figures out that they're in Daniel's nightmares. And, uh... We cut back to the dragon fight, and Springer is losing. The princess pleads with Razorclaw, who then finally capitulates and decides to help out and picks up Springer and lets him ride him, uh, kind of like a horse, and uh, they use it to joust the spear into the dragon. The princess then offers a way back on the yellow brick road. We cut back to uh, the Quintessons, and we find out that Daniel, the dream warrior, is beating the machine. So the Quintessons decide that they need to destroy Daniel. Uh, the nightmares begin to increase and the princess convinces Daniel to fight on. Daniel sends manifestations after the Quintessons and the machine overloads. Daniel is rescued and the Predacons retreat. Finally, we are in, back in Daniel's room where he wakes up and Rodimus Prime is next to him. Uh, and Daniel tells him of his dream and Rodimus actually knows a detail of one of those dreams and uh, is left to leave Daniel very confused. And uh, that is the entirety of the episode. This episode had so many animation problems that it's actually several minutes too short. It is 18 minutes total in runtime um, and includes two clips of from the files of Teletran 2 uh, to fill out the extra time. And I got to say, it, that is a rough episode to watch um if you can just 
weather through the bananas nightmares, which are kind of interesting in some ways. Uh, there's just not a lot going on there. The one cool thing about this episode, I do have to say, uh, we get a lot of Predacons uh, in their individual mode, uh, talking and interacting, which you don't see a lot of uh, in the series. So that's pretty neat. But that's going to take us to our next episode. The final episode we will be talking about today, Season 3, Episode 15. Overall, Episode number 80, Ghost in the Machine by Michael Charles Hill and Joey Kuihara Piedra. You know, I'm in the boat of what I'm about to say here, but most people tend to think this episode is Starscream's Ghost, the episode we covered a few episodes back. I confuse them all the time because this one features Starscream's ghost way more and in a way more significant role than the one that actually is called Starscream's ghost. And I believe our guest kind of made the same mistake uh, initially. So for more on this episode, going to toss it over to my good friend, Gabriel Owens, the salty C-Man. Now who will toast our noble host who has this morning given up the ghost? Hey folks, Gabriel Owens, the salty seaman here, uh, talking today about the ghost in the machine. I'll be honest, when I picked this episode, I uh, thought it was something else. I don't know why with the name ghost in there in season three. I should have known what this was. And for some reason, I thought it was dealing with something else, but... I did bring up a point I, I want to talk about, you know, now that we're getting into season three, I've, this is what I've been really looking forward to in the G1 section here, I think maybe the most, uh, because each one I'm l- less familiar with, but it's also the one I I like the most. But, uh, you know, you look at the, you know, it, it just simply wasn't in syndication as long as the second and especially the first season was. As you know, I know the first season by heart because it's short and, you know, they aired just they aired the first season so relentlessly between one and two. And, you know, those episodes continue to be popular in uh, the syndicated runs, you know, and I, you know, I watched transformers through, you know, more than meets CI part one to uh, rebirth part three, you know, missing it up here and there, but pretty much I saw the entire first run first, uh, first airing. And, uh, you know, other than I think one or two episodes, I managed to see everything before as a kid, for an adult, I think one, you know, maybe two, like I remember watching as an adult for the first time on VHS, I got sent, like I didn't recognize it all, but overall I'd seen them all. The, it went to a syndication package, you know, that ran, I believe my station channel 46 ran both uh, the syndication package and the first run pretty much the entire time I was a kid until it went to sci-fi. But uh, yeah, the uh, it went through a regular syndicated syndication pa- package run, and the way they forty six usually did it was just a straight, uh, you know, beginning to end. You know, like you know the first step. You know, just whatever the syndication package was, they ran them in order and just repeated the loop. This is why I know the exact last episode of Different Strokes, another show that they showed. And you know, I know the stero- the, the high school footballers taking steroids is the last ever episode because right after that, it would always go back to the pilot. And uh, generally, that's how they worked. But also, you know, you can theorize, you know, certain episodes may have been pulled for, uh, you know, complaints. Uh, like the burden hardest to bear. Like I did. I saw once when it first aired. And I never saw it in syndication again until an adult. 
And I, I wonder, you know, was that episode pulled for various reasons? Now, this is a different one because this was, uh, you know, just because of the character uh, who comes in. You know, this was this was quite popular and definitely, you know, I remember seeing in uh, several episodes, several uh, reruns of syndication. Uh, and this is the ghost in the machine. And let's go ahead and get into it. And it's been a while since I've seen this and I'm looking forward to it. So uh, this episode picks up uh, the arc. Uh, we started with Thief in the Night and Starscream's Ghost into uh, this third and final episode, uh, Ghost in the Machine. We start off with uh, Starscream's uh, Ghost possessing a sweep, or I believe it's actually Scourge personally, and uh, going crazy, and uh, Galvatron calls him out. He's lost his mind, and if anyone knew about losing your mind, it would have to be Galvatron. Scourge, drop your weapon! There is no reasoning with him! Destroy him! He's lost his mind! And a little note about Char, is, uh, as we see it in the background here, uh, it's a completely different design from uh, what we saw in Five Faces of Darkness. It's a, it's kind of a weird, inconsistent uh, setting. As in this version, we see a lot of uh, buildings of some sort. And we're also kind of left to wonder what exactly the Decepticons were doing. As, you know, we kind of, when Starscream comes upon them, it's Galvatron, Cyclonus, Scourge, the Sweeps, and the Predacons. Presumably all of them, only, I, th I think we only see one or two, including Rampage, I believe. And, uh, you know, why are they, they are walking somewhere with a purpose. What that purpose is, we don't know. Or why they're taking the slowest form of transportation they could take, their robot modes. Why are they not flying there? You know, all Decepticons are capable of flight. You know, maybe they're conserving energy. It's not really explained. We're just, they're walking somewhere and Starscream happens upon them. So we get a Scourge of fighting with Starscream over control of his body. You know, ends up shooting Galvatron. Uh, ends up transforming, taking off uh, with his head out. Here's, here's a little point I've, uh, you know, not noticed before is how often that was a thing. Like, I don't really remember the cartoon having the... the Scourge's head uh, in space submarine mode or whatever it was, space hydrofoil mode, you know, with, with the head up. But I like it. It's a nice, it's, it's, an, it's also a nice way to help him communicate. Uh, and uh, he takes off and he's heading to Cybertron. Cyclonus demands that him and the sweeps be the ones to, uh, you know, bring him in uh, slash destroy him. Galvatron says, well, you better or else come. I'm sending the Predacons after you. So he had... We cut to uh, Starscream slash Scourge heading to Cybertron with the sweeps and Cyclones behind him. I'll note two sweeps at this point, and we'll keep a count going as we go. And uh, Cyclonus is, uh, because of the Cyprotronian defenses, has to stop and uh, see what uh, Scourge is up to from a distance. The only thing Cyclonus can think is obviously Scourge is turning traitor and he's turning himself over. Uh, another, an interesting bit, though, here we get with the sweeps is uh, they definitely have their own in individual personalities. They aren't just copies of Scourge. You know, one's, uh, one is very upset that, you know, their leader has, you know, turned a uh, traitor, and the other one doesn't care. He just wants to destroy them. And I, I thought that was an interesting bit because, uh, you know, one of the big mysteries of Season 3, I think, is exactly how the sweeps work, and we never really get any... Uh, they, they, you know, the, they're kind of like the Insecticons and there's a bunch of them and some are clones and it's theorized because one of the, uh, because Scourge was an Insecticon uh, pri prior that the power transferred over. 
know, whatever fan theories you want, it's just they're they're a very inconsistent kind of troop builder slash fodder for the season. But uh, trying to figure them out is a lot of fun. So we uh, see Scourge ends up Scourge slash Starscream end up going inside uh, the head of Unicron and reactivating his life essence. And it turns out Unicron is not dead, but he's in, he is severely weakened. He has no body. You know, he's just a head. He can't see. He's essentially, in essence, just like uh, Starscream here. Uh, but, uh, you know, Starscream shows up with his demands. He's like, hey, I want a new body. And he's like, Unicron says, I can do that. But first, you must perform three tasks for me. Three labors, I should say. Uh, getting very biblical up in here. And while Starscream is outside of Scourge and making his talk with Unicron, Scourge attempts to escape. Starscream stops him and says, hey, where do you think you're going to go? You're, you know, you try to kill Galvatron. You know, you're going to get shot on sight. And he's like, well, okay, I'll stay with you until I help you out. And then you got to help me out and, you know, get me back in good, you know, get me back in good graces, essentially. It should be noted, uh, Unicron and Scourge really don't really acknowledge their tie here. And I don't think we ever do it really get a lot other than I mean, Five Faces of Darkness. They kind of hint at it. But, you know, he is supposed to be a spawn of Unicron. And it's something the cartoon really doesn't do a lot with, despite Unicron being dead and coming up as a major plot point, you know, Cyclonus, Galvatron, and the sweep, Scourge and Sweep's relationship to him really isn't a plot point uh, past really the movie. Cut to our first Autobots of the episode. Uh, space shuttle coming from assumingly Cybertron to Earth, along with Cup and Spike uh, visiting Metroplex uh, Autobot City uh, just as an inspection. And uh, Blaster apparently flat, uh, is in charge of Metroplex City, and uh, Cup tells him he passes with flying colors. Uh, Starscream shows up, and uh, he's, his ghost is able to travel immense distances, I think we can kind of figure from this. As you know, he shows up on Char, and then now he's showing up on Earth, and we assume they're scattered. Both places along the Cybertron are scattered throughout the galaxy. Just as Blaster is enjoying his praise and uh, how tip-top ship-shaped they keep uh, Autobot City, Blaster, uh, or rather Starscream, or I think it's kind of unclear here. Someone accidentally hits Blaster's music, which is god-awful. Whatever they're trying to do here just sounds like noise. It's like, it's not, it's kind of the Autobot theme, I guess. It's something. And, you know, it's Starscream starts causing havoc and mischief and turns on all of the defenses, or turns off all the defenses, I should say. And the Autobots are now in a panic because what the hell is going on? We get a cameo from Bumblebee we see sporadically through season one here. Uh, and yeah, they have no idea what's causing it. There's some really poor quality animation throughout this episode. It's definitely one of the weakers uh, visual-wise. Uh, we get Spike and uh, Bumblebee running through Metroplex City, and we get, uh, looks like old times, huh? And uh, Which is a nice throwback, of course, but at the same time, like Bumblebee has these ridiculously huge like off-road wheels on him suddenly. And uh, we cut to... Uh, the task, which is uh, Starscream and Scourge stealing uh, Metroplex's eyes as one of their labors. They break into the uh, section of his head unit where his eye, uh, where obviously his eyes would be, and they end up dropping the first one and uh, now going for the second. And uh, another problem with the animation here is the eye. The size of the eye is inconsistent shot to shot. You know, the background painting is a would be a huge optical uh piece of uh, robotics that you would imagine Metroplex would have, but and then other hands it gets in Scourge's hands and it looks, you know, size of a, you know, transformer size football, essentially. Whether that's, you know, 
part of the Transformers ability to, uh, you know, reduce sizes of things, which is, of course, also never been really explained in the show, is, uh, you know, up for debate, or you could just call it an animation error. Scourge escapes with the other eye, and the uh, Metroplex transforms out of anger and uh, is suddenly blind, and this causes the giant, the Titan giant to go completely flip his shit. Just firing wildly and hits Power Glide, uh, among others. And meanwhile, Scourge is getting away scot free as Metroplex and the Aerobots fight each other to essentially keep uh, Metroplex from causing any more damage. Why he has no other sensors that could at least, you know, partially substitute until he gets opticals back, I don't know. Maybe all of it's storing those orbs. Uh, but just seems like a poor design choice, especially for someone who obviously is going to panic so quickly about such a situation. Another interesting little bit here is uh, Metroplex City is uh, looks very much like the toy. Uh, I know I believe we see various versions of this where you know Autobot City is you know in the movie is just this huge thing that can transform, but there's no real Metroplex center that's ever mentioned at least uh, until Five Faces of Darkness, where Metroplex is part of the center essentially. Uh, in this version, he's the toy like basically his toy model is standing alone, no surrounding. Uh, bits and pieces so uh very very interesting uh and again it's just the animation is just uh it's just it's just a lot off on this episode and uh you know it was a problem throughout uh season three i think especially now uh, we cut to uh scourge going and starscream going to Trypticon because another titan's eyes is as good as another i assume and uh we have the second time in my review running into runabout and runamuck they have uh, a little less beavis and butthead here a little more uh you know, uh, John Wayne, uh, I guess they're supposed to be like Texas wild boys or something, but they do, they do, they do have a nice long laugh in here. Uh, they confront Scourge, Cruise and being a traitor, Scourge tries to bullshit them, and the Starstream's ghost comes out. Comrades, there has been a misunderstanding. I was on a secret mission for Galvatron. <laughs> sure you were. Let's see your security pass. Security pass? Passes? Starscream! I don't have to show you no stinking passes. Starscream and uh, Scourge abscond with the eyes, also taking along uh, Astro Train as Starscream possesses him. Now Scourge is no longer has to take over Scourge's body as he's a full accomplice. Takes over Astro Train because Astro Train has more room. We have a, a very landmark a little Galvatron moment here. I know someone back in the old ATT, Alt Toys Transformers, using that day used to have this quote in the uh, in his his uh, sig. But uh, yeah, Star Galvatron is uh, dressing down. You know everyone who basically let Starscream and Scourge get away. First, you two let Scourge and Starscream steal one of Trypticon's eyes. And then you two allowed Astro Train to be used as their escape vehicle. So Scourge is helping Starscream voluntarily, and you four were unable to stop them. Well, all I can say is... All I have to say about that is... And he shoots them. It's just so dang funny. I just... It's, it still gets me to this day. Scourge and Unicron get the eyes into Unicron, uh, and then he gives them their second labor, which is to go back into Trypticon and steal his entire uh, being, which is just 
kind of pissed. Scourge is just like not having any of it, and Starscream's just like, shut, just shut up, dude. Just do this crap. It's kind of fun. Uh, our Astro Train uh, basically got his body dumped off on Cybertron, shot down. And uh, we cut to the Autobots uh, interrogating him, asking what the hell's going on. Astro Train is without memory, but the Autobots piece together uh, they're working for Unicron and they go to investigate. Why not with Rodimus with the Atrix? I don't know, but uh, Skylink lead the team to investigate. Uh, Scourge shows up. Unicron reawakens and blasts the Autobots out of his headspace. Why they didn't just mine this thing to, uh, for demolition a long time ago is beyond me. And then we have a little fun. Uh, Starscream uh, possesses Trypticon, transforms, and ends up in a argument with his old buddy, uh, Galvatron, formerly Megatron. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's classic, you know, classic banter between the two characters. And one of the moments of this episode that definitely stands out as a fan favorite and a favorite of mine. much longer, and then are you going to be sorry? I'm already sorry! They also straight up use the word dead here, which uh, usually is a no-no, but I guess since he's a ghost and he's about to come back to life, they can kind of get away with it in this uh, scenario. Now, Septicons show up to retrieve Trypticon, but uh, Starscream in possession of him manages to fight them off, and we get the third labor. After this transformation cog from Trypticon is installed, the uh, he wants to be hooked up to Cybertron, and somehow. Uh, and here's some interesting theories because, of course, as kids we all wondered if you know Cybertron could transform, and in later in, uh, incarnations of the canon, uh, the God Prime would become uh, the planet Cybertron, and yes, it would in many versions does transform into a giant robot, <coughs> so. The, the lack of Primus and that whole uh, aspect of Unicron in here is interesting because he obviously feels all it needs is a transformation cog to make this work, which would imply that he, you know, either it's just really lazy writing or, you know, Cybertron has the ability to turn into a giant robot. So uh, you are welcome to take a pick there. A Scourge quickly uh, runs back to Galvatron. He's having none of Unicron coming back to life. Uh, and uh, once he's done with that, he goes and tells the Autobots what's going on, and uh, they set up a counterattack during the transformation. Uh, get to the finale, and here is a little bit of clever writing, uh, just how they set this up. Uh, since Scourge skedaddles, the only body left is Trypticon, who's not exactly designed for delicate uh, connection work. So Starscream pulls his final gambit, which is, hey, I can't do this, I need my own body, so Unicron finally relents and returns him to his uh, original form. So Starscream once again lives and, of course, immediately betrays Unicron and tells him to, uh, you know, connect himself. He's done with this. Uh, just as uh, the Autobots, uh, the Energon explosives go off, hurtle, rocketing Unicron out of orbit into space, as well as Starscream, upon which the uh, Decepticons see Starscream go by and Galvatron immediately fires on him and... Cyclonus contemplates, wait a minute, when do ghosts go hurtling through space? So, uh, 
to set up something that, you know, we did not get delivered on any kind of follow-up until Beast Wars, which is a very long time away and is definitely past G1. But it was obviously set up for his eventual return to the fold in some form, but uh, it just was never followed up on in G1. Uh, compared to the cartoon, to the comic, where I think Gal- Starscream gets taken out four or five different times and always comes back. Uh, it's just Starscream. He's just that big part of the lore. And obviously he was an incredibly popular character, hence his returning here and his toy still being available on the shelf in 1986. Uh, type of fuel loose ends. Uh, at the end lets Scourge and Astrotrain go due to their help getting rid of Unicron and Starscream. And we end with Rodimus joking that the Autobots are going to need to do a salvage mission to get the eyes back. And then it says, ah, just kidding. And they're probably too damaged in the explosion. And the Autobots laugh and the episode ends with a glint in the eye of a Unicron. Foreboding what we are yet to know. Uh, overall, of a, a fun episode. Again, they need to, why they don't go out there and demolition that head, I don't know. But, uh, I mean, plot points. But uh, yeah, a lot of fun uh, having Starscream back. It was it was always it was it was great and a lot of fun as a kid just having that whole uh, that arc and then just a little bit of uh, season one and two thrown into season three. Uh, and this episode, of course, also has Power Glide, uh, Warpath, and Bumblebee show up as well, which kind of adds to it along with some of the newer characters. Uh, I think that part's well done. Some of the plots are cle- parts of the plot are very clever, and some parts are a little lazy. And the animation is off is pretty dang awful, but uh, overall it's a very very fun episode, and a lot of it is because of uh, Chris Lotta and the character of Starscream. Anyway, that's all I got. Over back over to you, Anthony. And of course, you can catch Gabe on his YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash Recharge138. I'll have that link in the show notes. Uh, do check out Gabe's channel. I appear there every so often, uh, usually talking about heavy metal. Uh, always worth a watch. Go check them out. Now, uh, a couple of thoughts for me about this episode. Um, it's the third one we covered in the last grouping of episodes, these five episodes that have ended with a laugh track, uh, a joke of some kind. And that's that's kind of odd for, for Transformers overall. Uh, I find it weird that Unicron was revived by connecting just one wire. And uh, it's fun to note here that... Uh, of the Battle Chargers, this is the only appearance in the cartoon of Runabout, the black one. Now, there's one other line in this episode that always rings in my head, and I want you to give it a listen. Where are you taking me? To Unicron! I want my old body back, and he's the only one who can give it to me! <laughs> now, that line, Chris Lada's uh, Starscream, that line always makes me think of a certain song. And with that in mind, I decided to put this together. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. Oh, and be sure to go to the YouTube channel because I made a video of that song as well. Speaking of which, if you want to check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash tfuinfo 
if you want to find a way to help out the show. And I, I've got to tell you, um, the Patreon, since I started recording this episode, we've added one new patron. I want to give a big shout out to Jason Prevat, who just joined up at the junior level. So from the time I started this show to the time I owned this show, we have added one more patron. So that puts us at 23. We are two away, two away from hitting our first goal of 25 patrons, where we will have video versions of the earlier episodes. If you want to be a patron, it's real easy to sign up. www.patreon.com slash T-F-U-I-N-F-O. That's patreon.com slash T-F-U-I-N-F-O. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be part of this. You get this episode at least 24 hours in advance, plus all sorts of goodies. Jason here signed up at the junior level at $3. That gets him all of our Patreon-exclusive podcasts, including um, my take on Surprise Party that I recorded for this episode before I checked in with Rob London to see if he wants to take part in the show. Now, want to reach out to me. You want to be part of the fun. Talk to me one-on-one. Best way to do that is Twitter at TFU underscore info. Uh, That is at TFU underscore INFO. That's how you can get me on Twitter. That's where our Twitter feed is. That's usually where I'm interacting the most. But if that's not your thing, I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash TFU info, instagram.com slash TFU info. Of course, on the web, www.tfu.info the world's longest running transforming toy archive and of course if you just want to email me it's info at tfu.info next time on the show we are heading back to the UK Um, speaking of which I haven't checked out IDW's uh, Transformers 1984 number zero uh, great little story. I think I'm going to do a news and views about it. Um, I got a couple of news and views ideas floating around. I've been kicking around on uh, in my head and, and with some friends. And uh, so keep an eye on the news and views feed. I'll probably post them in the university feed. But um, got a couple ideas coming and uh, some, some feel-good stuff too. So make sure you check that stuff out. But next time on the show, we are going back to the UK. We're going to do a bunch of issues from... The Transformers UK Marvel comic series from 1986 will delve into some stories that I've never read. In fact, I just looked at the issue numbers and I have no idea what's in them. Uh, So this is going to be a fun experience uh, coming around in episode 71. So make sure you're here. I will definitely be here. I am Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info. Until next time, see ya.